Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices Talk News Radio Show. My Reasonable Voice guest today is Rachel Lazar, a graduate of Harvard University and the University of Chicago Law School, and she is an advocate and strategist who has dedicated the last two decades of her life to fighting to make the country inclusive for all Americans. She has a proven track record of uniting both faith and secular leaders and advocacy organizations to make tangible progress in some of the most important issues of our time. Currently, Attorney Rachel Lazar is the President and CEO of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Rachel Lazar is also an advocate for racial justice and has led workshops giving speeches and worked with schools and universities to challenge racism and expose privilege. Ms. Lazar believes the work of Americans United has never been more important than it is today and therefore works to continue our fight to defeat the many new and serious threats to religious freedom and the separation of church and state across the nation. Before serving as the Deputy Director of RAC, the Religious Action Center of Reform Judaism, Rachel directed the cultural program at Third Way, a think tank specializing in understanding and reaching moderates. There, she launched the Come Let Us Reason Together initiative, which mobilized evangelical Christians and liberals to work together on critical issues. Welcome, Rachel Lazar, to the Reasonable Voices program. Marcello. Well, a lot's happened, uh, as Rachel Maddow keeps saying. (laughs) You know, it's a new thing every day. So since we last spoke, much has happened. Tell me uh, if if there are any one new development or several new developments that you feel most impact on your work and on uh, Americans United Toward Church and State. Significantly, I'd say, was the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to replace Justice Kennedy on the Supreme Court. We're already operating in an environment where separation of church and state is in grave danger, and we can talk more about that. But with Brett Kavanaugh's nomination, if he were appointed to the Supreme Court to replace Justice he would shift the dynamic of the court on church-state separation profoundly against this core and fundamental constitutional principle that really makes America, America. Mm. So we're very, very concerned. In fact, we're opposing his nomination, and that's one of our key campaigns and key focal focal points right now. So how how does a... A, a judge, uh, a, a Supreme Court nominee, a potential Supreme Court justice, justify that position, and there are others, of course, uh, of his positions that I have trouble with, but uh, how does any judge justify claiming to be upholding the Constitution when clearly their views, public views, he has a long uh, paper trail, make it clear that he 
I don't know how to say, to even explain his interpretation of the First Amendment. Right. Well, that's a very fair thing to say. I mean, there's lots of positions that he takes that are directly thumbing his nose at Supreme Court precedent, even, when it comes to um, interpreting the First Amendment. There are other places where he wants to go further and be more conservative on this issue than even where the court's gone. So, you know, it sort of comes down to very erudite constitutional arguments that sound sort of good sometimes on paper Mm. and are very uh, sort of careful, but that in the end translate into the effective denouncement of church-state separation. And I think most clearly was a speech that he gave last year to a, a conservative group, the American Enterprise Institute, where he was praising his uh, his hero, the late Justice Rehnquist, um, on many different scores, and on one of them he praised Jun- Justice Rehnquist for saying that the strict metaphor of the wall of separation between church and state was wrong as mm. a matter of history and as a matter of law. So that's such a clear statement that's against what our First Amendment stands for. But of course, Justice Rehnquist had a similar position. Yes. One thing that's noteworthy is that Justice Kennedy has sort of been mixed on our issue, but there are many places where he's been good, where it's clear from Brett Kavanaugh's record, both as a judge at the D.C. Circuit and as a private lawyer, that he would go uh, to a much worse place than Justice Kennedy, thereby really shifting the dynamic of the court. And just to to give one example, Marcello, schools. So, you know, if you think about what a more conservative court could could mean for schools, it could mean unleashing a two-pronged attack on the separation of church and state in public schools. So the first would be by chipping away at, or maybe even outright overturning, the long-standing school prayer rulings. Mm. And two would be by expanding taxpayer funding for religious education. So, you know, what, so for example, just to show what's at stake, what would happen if a majority of justices on the Supreme Court overturned school prayer rulings? It would open the door to things like creationism, being taught. Yes. Teachers and coaches could pray with their students and, you know, there could be religious displays in, in public schools. These are just a few of the things that we're talking about in terms of what's at stake. And, I, and I'd like to mention that I believe you have told me this before and I know I am a religious person and I, I think you told me you have a, a, a real religious identity as well. So we're uh-huh. not against religion. We're for the, yes. Tell us about or, that. Yeah, yes, I'm so grateful that you asked. Sometimes our opponents like to label us as being anti-religion, and I think that's because they know what a strength it is that we're actually for religious freedom. Mm. And in fact, the people who advocated for putting the 16 words in the First Amendment that we fight for every day were Baptist preachers mm-hmm. who loved religion. And so, what it does to have the separation of religion and government is it enables all of us to have the freedom to our right of conscience, the freedom to practice our religion mm-hmm. how we want and not to be told by the government what one religion we all need to believe in. That's so important. It also means that not only is it keeping the government free of religion, but it's keeping religion free of government, yes. which really would sully religion and and you know what is it sort of begs the question really of what is religious freedom like what do we even mean by that mm. and you know what we mean by that are things like you can gather with like-minded people for worship mm-hmm. you can read the religious books that you want you can pray you can actually cook up your own spiritual brew and pick a little bit here and a little bit there from different traditions or you cannot believe you can question and doubt you can but 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 i guess what i'm saying is religious freedom is such a beautiful thing and it's so essential to the fabric of this country we have so many different religions here it's part of our beautiful diversity and and the freedom the freedom really to believe 
is such a crucial part of America, and not only has it stopped blood from being shed, mm. like it has been shed in so many other countries where religion is entangled with the government, but it's caused all of us to really believe, like, not believe, but to have a place here, regardless of what we believe. That's what America's freedom is all about. Mm. So it's it's such a it's such a scary prospect to imagine this freedom being undercut because it would mean that our country just wouldn't feel like our country anymore. Exactly. And, and you know, perhaps to oversimplify, uh, freedom of religion as a, as a cause, as a belief, as a, uh, a, a piece of the First Amendment is a much larger umbrella uh, over America and Americans than I think most of us realize most of the time. I think people take that cafeteria approach a la carte to uh, to the term and to the practice and to the freedom of it. But, um, well, actually, what do you think about what I just said? That I'm not looking for a compliment, but does that make sense to you? Absolutely. That, I completely agree with you. And I think that's an aspect of this freedom that yes. we're talking about. Yes. Absolutely. And I, in my own experience, as a person who has a religion and speaking with many people of faith and having worked a lot in the interfaith community, People of faith so often value other people's ability to believe what they want. In yes. other words, if you understand the importance of your belief systems to you, I think a very natural propensity is to be in favor of other people getting to believe what they want to believe and be sacred to that belief system. Yes. That's very often how it works. I think, definitely, there is a sort of a a smaller segment of far-right religious people in this country who quite openly assert their dominance in our culture and would, would prefer to have one religion be imposed on all of us rather than to live in a context where they can still believe what they believe, but you can believe what you believe too, and I can believe what I believe, and we all have an equal place here. And I think that's part of the problem. And we can, you know, we can dissect why why is this happening with this sort of far right evangelical Christian population? Really, why is that the case? And I think it's it's the case it's the case because there's some fragility that's happening right now around that that sort of segments of the population where there has been sort of a decline in cultural dominance in this country that existed for so long and was sort of part of the fabric at one time, you know, of this nation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Michael Gerson is a Washington Post conservative columnist. Do, yes. do you know him? Oh, yeah, yes. So he wrote an article in The Atlantic about evangelical Christians and what sort of happened uh, along the way to especially this far-right white group of evangelical Christians. And he talks about, you know, a decision to challenge science and be on the other side of evolution, you know, with creationism officially, yes. Yes. and sort of a, a, a bit of a fall from, from grace in terms of a position in our culture that led to a will to assert its dominance. And one can only think that something like that is going on when, you know, one religious community says, we, we would like to carve out religious exemptions from our shared anti-discrimination protections mm -hmm. in the law, mm -hmm. you know, or our shared protections for women, women's ability to access birth control that yes. the Affordable Care Act gives, right? Or our shared anti-discrimination laws in Colorado, Right, which is one of the states that has them that protects the LGBTQ population. Mm -hmm. If you argue for carving out a religious exemption, what you're saying is one group's personal religious belief systems should get to carve out an exception and sort of take precedence over our shared American laws mm -hmm. and our shared American values. And what we're saying is we believe in everyone's right, including far-right white evangelical Christians yes. to practice and believe what they want. But when you come together in the public square, the laws that take precedence 
are our shared public laws, our shared public accommodations laws, our shared protections about how we define ourselves as a country. And that if you're asking for an exception, what you're really doing is asking for your religious views to get to sort of assert their dominance over someone else's. And over, the, and over uh, our founding fathers and the Constitution, I know what is um, what is what some see as a loophole in in things. Of course, is that it doesn't say separation of church and state in the Constitution. It says our right to have religious beliefs and to practice our religious beliefs, and the government has no right to interfere with it, which to me is enough. But some people say, well, Jefferson just wrote a letter. What is that? What's your answer to that? Right. And my answer to that is, so the, the two clauses in the First Amendment are the non-establishment clause and the free exercise clause, mm-hmm. right, technically. Yes. And non-establishment means that you're not allowed to establish a religion in the government. Mm-hmm. And what that and and the fact that the free exercise of religion clause coexists right in the same verse mm. as the non-establishment clause means that the two yes while they can be intention are certainly meant and conceived of to be working together. Yes. So what does that mean? What that means is that the free exercise of religion cannot lead to the establishment of your religion, mm-hmm. right? Because you're not allowed to establish a religion. So what it means is my free exercise of my religion, let's say I'm living in Colorado and I'm running Masterpiece Cake Shop Bakery. Yes. That my free exercise has limits. And the limits are it stops at the place where I would ask to do something that would really be sort of establishing my religion in the laws, which mm. which is what the baker was yes. asking to do when he said, I want an official exemption to mm. our state's, what our state passed into law, an anti-discrimination law. I want to establish my religion as in this government law as having a, 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 an explicit exemption. So in other words, there are, we talked earlier about freedom of religion and what it means and the right to come together and comedy and to have your belief systems. But like all rights, there's there's limits, yes. you know, to those rights. And here, you know, we agreed when we established our constitution that we wouldn't establish a religion in this country, that we wouldn't have one religion be dominant over another. Now, let me tell you something. We haven't always lived up to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, that is definitely true. And if you look across our history, you know, there have been, you know, plenty of moments of government sponsored prayers before in the 19th, in schools even, yes, yes. before in the 1960s. We even had some state established churches. <laughs> I mean, you know, we could go back to those days. I mean, like with many of our ideals, we have not always lived up to them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But, and what that's what makes this Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, so scary as well, because he's talked about using history and tradition as a rationale, as a rationale for continuing yes. that tradition. Yes. All right. And, I'm, I'm going to break in. Hold that thought. We have to go to break. Our guest today is attorney Rachel Lazar, the president and CEO of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton singing Tear Down the House from Is Anybody Listening? Now we gotta tear down the 
Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today is attorney Rachel Lazar, and she is the president and CEO of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. I know Brett Kavanaugh keeps coming back, but because it's uh, that is a major thing, as you've pointed out. What do you think about his making public that he didn't agree with the Supreme Court's uh, uh, opinion in uh, the Watergate tapes? of all things, Nixon's tapes. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, we don't take an official position on that. Mm-hmm. I, wearing my Americans United for Separation of Church and State hat, gotcha. I would like to tell you about his record on church-state separation. We've started to talk about it. Okay. You know, we started to talk about how he criticized the, the metaphor of the separation of the wall yes. of separation of church and state. We've talked a little bit about school prayer, and I'd like to tell you a little bit more about that as well, how when he was a private attorney, he took on a brief, and you know, when you're a private attorney, when you take on these matters for a reduced legal fee, it really shows where your heart is. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I did a civil protection order case, for example, when I was a private attorney at a law firm, and you know, you sort of ask your firm to let you do reduced fee work. Well, he did this for a case called Santa Fe Independent Schools, which is a case about school prayer and about, you know, allowing students to use the loudspeaker before football games to say a Christian prayer. And this is, by the way, Santa Fe, Texas, uh-huh. before the whole school. And, you know, he came down decidedly on the side of allowing that. And, you know, this is in a case that ultimately went up to the Supreme Court and by a 6-3 majority, the court found the other way. Yes. That it wasn't constitutional. And guess who was in that sixth majority of justices? Justice Kennedy, ah. who Brett Kavanaugh would be replacing, which is particularly, you know, upsetting because yes. it shows that he would make a difference and change the dynamic of the court on that issue of prayer in school. So, we, you know, that's, that's one thing. Let me give you another example of the way we have documented that he's attacked the idea of church-state separation when he was a judge, which he is now, on the D.C. Circuit. He wrote a dissent in a case called Priests for Life. And let me back up and sort of explain quickly what the case was about. This is a case came out of the Affordable Care Act, which, you know, some people call Obamacare, and its requirement that women should be provided birth control, which the Institute of Medicine deemed to be preventive care. And so when the Affordable Care Act came out with that requirement, it provided a total exemption for all houses of worship, Mm. right? Because houses of worship always are pretty much exempt from many, not always, but very often are exempt from different requirements because they're seen for what they are, which is, you know, places of faith. So there was another category of folks who are religious nonprofits, you know, the Catholic Charities, Little Sisters of the Poor, Priests for Life, they're religious nonprofits. And there was a big debate at the time of Obamacare about what to do with them. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was decided that the best solution possible, the best sort of compromise, was to allow them to sign a one-page waiver that would say, we're not comfortable providing access to birth control for our employees, but that means that the government knows that it's triggered to have to ensure that insurance companies will work with the women directly and still provide them the access that they're entitled under federal law. Yes. You know, this is because groups like all of these religious nonprofits, they they often they employ people of different faiths. They often serve people of different faiths. Mm-hmm. Right? They're not houses of worship per yes. se. So priests for life sues, and Brett Kavanaugh says in a dissent against what the D.C. Circuit Court decided that even this one-page waiver requirement is too much to ask. Mm. And that he thinks it's a violation of the Establishment Clause. That, that he thinks that there's a religious freedom right of priests for life to be able to deny women access to birth control, even where they would just have to sign a one-page waiver signing away any responsibility of their own. This was an argument that was against eight of nine circuit courts 
Mm. that heard similar cases. Mm -hmm. So he is, Brett Kavanaugh, our Supreme Court nominee, is a way outlier on this. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's so upsetting about it, other than the case itself, which is that women, you know, can now, because of folks' religious views, even be denied access to birth control, you know, which is part of basic care for women. It helps them plan their families. It helps them space their children in a healthy way for their own physical health and even their their pregnancy's physical health. It helps women not get pregnant who have medical issues. It helps make different forms of birth control available to women who may have, you know, propensities towards stroke or a history of breast cancer in their families. I mean, there's, you know, so many reasons, right, that that law was passed. Yes. So it not only allows, you know, folks to use their their religious views to deny women even access to birth control, but it opens the door to religion being used to harm others and to discriminate against others, right? So now, you know, we're talking about businesses refusing to serve LGBTQ identified people. Yes. We're talking even about businesses being sort of able to use an argument that they have the religious freedom to even refuse people of different religions, mm-hmm. maybe of minority religions. Yes. And, you know, we know we have a terrible history in our country that's been documented of people even using religion as a basis to discriminate against people of color. Mm-hmm. And that has been very clearly documented, you know, that religion has been used to justify slavery, religion has been used to justify anti-miscegenation laws, uh, religion has been used to oppose the Civil Rights Act. I mean, it certainly happened, you yes. know, in this country. So it opens the door wide to really stopping there from being any of these limits that we are talking about on you know, what it means to have and celebrate religious freedom in this country and simultaneously allow us to all peacefully and constructively coexist and allow everyone's religious freedom to count the same amount, not mm-hmm. just some of our religious freedom to be dominant. Exactly. So it's a really scary part of Brett Kavanaugh's record. And, you know, there are more instances and examples. It's particularly troublesome right in this moment where it feels like we need to reawaken a lot of folks to what church-state separation is all about and to this founding principle because it feels so under attack right now even though it's such a defining part of our country. In fact, I think there's a lot of folks who care about a lot of issues who might not have even connected the dots between the issues that they care about. Let's say it's reproductive freedom, let's say it's LGBTQ equality, let's say they are upset about anti-Muslim bigotry, or, you know, I think maybe there is a set of folks who haven't connected the dots between all of those issues, and in essence, what's at core going to be a huge defense against discrimination in all of those different, which is the separation of church and state. And, you know, and if you think about sort of this trifecta that's taking place right now in America. We've got sort of the strategy in the courts, which is coming from Trump, as we've seen President Trump's recent appointment. We've been talking a lot about Brett Kavanaugh and his record, but we also have it in the courts with this $50 million a year religious right legal group called Alliance Defending Freedom, which is bringing so many cases right now on behalf of businesses that want to be able to use religion to discriminate, you know, against women, against transgender employees, against gay and lesbian employees. So we've got the courts, right? Then we've got what the Trump-Pence administration has been doing within their administration. You know, they've been trying to get rid of the Johnson Amendment, right, which makes it such that Nonprofits can't endorse or oppose political candidates, so it ensures that houses of worship can't endorse or oppose religious candidates. And yes. they've been waging a huge campaign. In fact, it's still going on. I mean, even in working with the Congress right now in the House of Representatives, we have language in the appropriations bill that would over that would effectively overturn the Johnson Amendment. It would make it impossible for the IRS to enforce it. So. There's other things, too. I mean, early on in Trump's administration, the Department of Justice created a blueprint to allow religion to be used to discriminate. Then they created this Office of Conscience and Religious Freedom, which is about 
allowing for discrimination in the name of religion, even though Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights, which is where they placed that Office of Conscience and Religious Freedom, already deals with discrimination on the basis of religion, mm. right? which tends to be against religious minorities. Then there was the Health and Human Services interim final rules which let bosses and universities use religion to deny their employees access to birth control. And I'm naming just a few. So we're talking about a strategy in the courts, right, which Brett Kavanaugh is right now sort of the capstone to, but there's been a strategy already from the religious right. We're talking about a strategy within this administration Mm -hmm. and a lot of the actions that they've taken. And there's a legislative strategy in, in the states going on. And we talked about this a little bit last time, but this project is called Project Blitz. And it's a project of the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation. And it has an explicit strategy of creating a Christian nation. And it's a 116-page guide for state legislators to sort of ultimately cause our side to, as they put it, play whack-a-mole by having to beat down so many bills and efforts, it suggests 20 model bills that start strategically in a way that they think they can succeed because it starts with these in God we trust bills, which are harder to defeat, but whose explicit purpose is to work their way towards bills that permit religion to be used to discriminate. Mm. And it's already taken hold in state legislatures. I mean, this year, you know, there were over 60 of these bills, over 30 passed. There's already uh, Project Blitz prayer caucuses that Mm. have been established in states with state legislators. There's 65 public officials on board in Iowa. There's 28 in Tennessee. So, I mean, this is already a strategy that's well underway yes. in our state legislatures as well. So it's just, it's an incredibly important moment for Americans to unite in defending this fundamental principle and defining principle of our country. It's, it's so troubling to me. I, I mean, I am a Christian, I am a Roman Catholic, and I, it bothers me that it seems that people who, who think I think quite sincerely, think they are exceptionally religious are the ones who are causing such anti-religious behavior, certainly as my grandmama would have said, giving Mm -hmm. Jesus a bad name. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, is separation of church and state always going to be a a partisan issue? Is it, it's been so politicized, and not for the first time, it's just perhaps for the most extreme time. There is clearly, as you were talking about it, a multi-level approach to the defeat of separation of church and state. But what do you think? Is Are we doomed to this? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we're in sort of an exceptional moment in this country where our very intentional experiment of being a diverse nation that welcomes people from so many different shores and that is proud of the melting pot that we are yes. has has sort of almost like reached a moment of, a heightened moment in this country. And I think, you know, we can either sort of turn way back the clock and try to, you know, stop ourselves from sort of becoming what we're meant to become here by Mm -hmm. our defining principles, or we can embrace, you know, our, our flourishing diversity, the flourishing religious diversity, the racial diversity. And I think... Because we're at such a heightened moment of realizing our diverse selves, that there's a lot of fear and a lot of concern Mm. about sort of asserting dominance where it used to exist. So in 2014, writes my friend and colleague, Dr. Robbie Jones, in his book, The End of White Christian America, Mm -hmm. in 2014, America already ceased to be a majority white Christian country. Yes, that's true. And that can engender fear. You know, that can engender fear. We know that by the middle of this century, certainly by 2050, 
it's projected that we will no longer be a majority white nation mm-hmm. either. So there are major demographic changes right now that I think can help explain some of the insecurity and sort of need to assert dominance of certain communities, and especially those. I mean, if you think about white Protestants in particular, held the cultural power in our country for a very long time. Yes. Right? So there's a lot, you know, and, and right now that cultural power has been shrinking. We, we can notice how appreciable it is, even in comparison to the size of their population, it is still present but it's, it's shrunk, yes. and that has led to a lot of feelings. Now, I also want to be sure to say that I don't mean to lump all white evangelical Christians together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is not a homogeneous community. It isn't. You know, there are a lot of demographic studies of that community, and a lot say, you know, about a, a fourth of white evangelicals are flat-out progressives, and about a third are moderate. Yes. So, I mean, there, there are all sorts of different positions. And we talked about how it was Baptists who put these very words, yes. who advocated so strongly for them in the first place. Exactly, right? exactly. Mm-hmm. So I have hope. You know, I was told, I only started this job five months ago, so I'm still relatively new here. Oh, wow. But I, um, our communication structure has been here for a very long time, and... He's so well acquainted with our history here at Americans United. We've been around over 70 years, and I'm still learning about our history. But one thing that's fascinating is that in the 1980s, over half of our members identified as Republican. Mm. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is not, this shouldn't be a partisan issue. I, you know, one of the things that I like most about our name is that we're called Americans United. Yes. And it can be actually, it can be hard and challenging because we have so many different communities that believe in us and that are part of us. Yes. That, you know, we don't just preach, if you will, to one community, right? Mm-hmm. We have atheists and tons of true believers, yes. right? We have, we have people from the LGBTQ community. We have people who believe in women's reproductive freedom. We have people who are religious minorities, and all of these communities overlap as well. But when you have an issue that unites so many different types of people, yes. you know that you have a steadfast American issue. Yes. And that's really beautiful. That's why, you know, one of the things that I think this movement for church-state separation needs to do better is to show the human faces. Because it's, you know, we all, especially our many sort of very educated followers and members, you know, love principles and we love our Constitution. And, you know, but why? Why do we love our Constitution? Because these principles exist to protect real people. Yes. That's why, right? When push comes to shove. And sometimes I think we haven't done a good enough job to showcase those real people. You know, my my parents have a friend who grew up in in Indiana at at a time when public schools proselytized Christian prayer. She was Jewish, and she tells a story of being sent into the hallways during prayer. And that's a little kid who is totally being made to feel like she doesn't belong in her community's public school. You know, what is that like? Mm. Or, you know, what is it like for... Charlie Craig and David Mullins, who are the gay couple, you know, to show up being so excited that they're finally allowed to get married married. and that they're excited to get married. And they can't even get a cake. They can't even get a cake and their dignity is denied. I mean, it's really, it's an affront to their dignity. I mean, you know, they talk about it. It's it's painful. Mm. So I just, you know, what is it like for women who go to Notre Dame? Mm. To feel that they don't have access to birth control. Yes. Right, just because they chose that school, you know, and it's a publicly funded school. Mm. So we, you know, we have a, we have a problem in this country when we stop living values, you know, and I think that's, that's what we fight for at Americans United every day. And we are growing every day, especially in this moment. And we would love folks to join us. All You just need to go to au.org if I'm allowed, Marcello, to make oh, the pitch. That was my next thing to ask okay. you. Yeah, no, I, we, we just, we welcome you. Uh, we, we welcome you. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your stories. And we want to plug you in and send you 
action alerts and help you know how to take action to be the watchdogs that we really need you to be mm-hmm. in order to win this fight right now to preserve this fundamental principle. So au.org, and also you can follow us at Americans United. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on Facebook. And we need you. You know, so we really hope to see you pop up on our database and show up at our events and rallies and tell us if you'd like to be involved with one of our chapters and let us know, you know, what you think and, and how you want to plug in and we'll help you. You know, we, we all need each other right now and it feels good to come together in community and, and, and to believe in the power of our voices. Yes. Right, because our power in the end is only as great as we can imagine. Yes. And if we don't imagine ourselves to have power, we won't. But if we do, we do things that people thought were impossible mm-hmm. together. Yes. Right? And so let's believe in ourselves and our voices and let's believe in our fundamental principles and fight for them together. And, you know, on that note, uh, we do have to go. But I want to say a thank you and congratulations to all of those already all those americans of every different shade and philosophy and culture and whatever who are already exercising their right to peacefully assemble and are making their voices heard for living our principles for for being becoming our ideals uh, and i think that's what um, attorney rachel lazar the president and ceo of americans united for separation of church and state has been talking about today Rachel, thank you so very much for being on the show, and we, of course, wish you all the very best. And if I'm remembering correctly, there is a marvelous photograph on your Facebook page that shows the diversity of your organization, Americans United. Is that where I saw that? Yes. Okay. Check us out, everyone, at Americans United. And thank you so much for the opportunity to be with everyone, Marcello. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you. All the best. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music, featuring vocal artist Julia Wade singing Beautiful, from her new CD, Sunday Morning. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Yes, the Lord is greatly to be praised. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty define Him. So let Thy work appear. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. What could we fix if we weren't Trump-fixated? From the 20% colonialists who, like Benedict Arnold, remained England's loyalists, America has always been three-sided. Conservatives fearing change, liberals progressing forward, and those lacking the courage to be either. Our percentages, however, shifted wildly in 2016. 35% longing for white power extension, 55% welcoming forward-thinking propulsion, both in a tug-of-war still dragging those on the sidelines, accepting the left-and-right choices made in the arena. 
Nonetheless, if focused on 2016 cyber invaders attacking American exceptionalism, we discover what shifted our nation off its solid rock foundation, commenced 71 years before Putin elected to make America in Russia's image. If in 2018, however, we choose harmony and charity aforethought, we'll either provide Congress the necessary backbone for new, broader, restrictive sanctions against the thief stealing both American and Russian revolutions, or we'll replace our corrupted Congress with a new brand of incorruptible representation. We might understand social media partners, neither secret nor silent, but possibly unwitting accomplices now wringing contrite hands, after being distracted by counting their silver pieces, attempting to wash troll gold from their hindsight, doing penance for contributions accepted on the road to democratic demise, damaging America's electoral process, now swearing forevermore to spare our most cherished privilege from online bullhockey. However, defending liberty from tyrannical mob-blob absorption, profaning freedom by couching it as a right to produce online instructions for assembly of undetectable murder weapons, is on us. Playing catch-up, might we act to preserve our American dream from the blitzkrieg of constitutional distortions by the homeland treason of NRA bedfellows? Should we resurrect our courage within to protect those crying out from a me-too and times-up wilderness, isolated by misogynistic male-dominated corporate corruption, we'll cease and desist nailing the sexually harassed and sexually assaulted targets on the cross of statute of limitations. And, if we refuse to regurgitate talking points like political talking heads, we could become capable physicians, healing ourselves with the knowledge and charity which begins at All Politics is Local. Thus enlightened, distinguishing the minuscule legal distinction between convenient use of collusion and obstruction of justice and conspiracy, will lift our wisdom out of obscurity. While truth will set us free from the lies we've told ourselves, patience and reason are patriotic requirements for admitting the truth in a fact-based airtight case that even a compromised Supreme Court cannot dissent. When true patriots eject a Congress refusing the truth of a Gowdy and Jordan FBI grilling dramedy, Americans will understand potential curtain call of June 2016 Trump Tower production starring international cast of characters. Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, Paul Manafort, Rob Goldstein, Vesonitskaya, Russian-American lobbyist Renat Akmachin, Agalarov business associate Kavaladze, and translator Anatoly Samachonov. And then we'll become more cognizant of the long-term fallout of any conspiracy to defraud we the people of the United States of America. Restoking, fired up and ready to go, with bi-coastal focus, we might address climate change before our east coast floats out to sea and west coast becomes but ashes of the America the Beautiful Teddy Roosevelt bequeathed. Emulating Justices Ginsburg and Scalia's disagreements with mutual respect and malice toward none, our open minds will appreciate anew the necessity of compromise, as did our founding fathers, against all odds. If once again we follow the money, we'll uncover the foundation treasurer who pays blackmail to silence trumped women, all the while knowing America's fixes are in the company we keep. Like Justices Elena Kagan, Sonia Sotomayor, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, news anchors like Andrea Mitchell and Rachel Maddow, candidates like Abigail Spanberger, Leslie Coburn, Danica Rome, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Kamala Harris. Supporters for Alzheimer's Research at ALZ.org Dog Tag Bakery in D.C. that supports veterans, LeBron James and his Ohio school students, University of Virginia historians who resigned in protest, 3100 Run to Become director Sanjay Raul, composers Dana Parrish and Andy Hollander, 
advocates for gender equality like Andrea Miller and Eileen Davis, police who are kind to children, homeless, and those who kneel to honor victims of those killed by police. Bus drivers going the extra mile for the blind, seniors slipping on ice, and children lost on the streets. And, if we can believe it, robber baron leftovers Charles and David Koch. The global torch for freedom is America, so we can't be quiet anymore. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. <laughs>